of Thrive Time be- 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 begins now with your host, Jay Mamie, on the Jay Mamie Talk Show. Good day, everyone, and welcome once again to the Jay Mamie Talk Show. This is Jay Mamie, and you are now entering your hour of Thrive Time. I want you to know that your visitation to this show today is going to yield tremendous results as we are yet going to provide another value-based show to help you launch your 23 in good fashion. By the way, this is our third Sunday in January, and uh, we are steamrolling already with great content. So we are happy that you are planning uh, the rest of your year to be with us. And today, if this is your first time joining us, thank you. You're going to recognize this is a valuable part of your weekly calendar your weekly calendar of activity if you are thrive-minded. So make sure that you come back and join us every Sunday here at 1 o'clock Central. Or catch our rebroadcast as we drop them on your favorite podcast platform throughout the course of the week. But today's show is going to be fantastic because we're bringing in two amazing individuals that are going to pour into you knowledge and wisdom from two different angles, by the way. But both angles are going to help you reconsider how to shift thinking in a way that helps you continue to move forward. And I can't think of two better people to do that than a Navy SEAL. I mean, imagine a Navy SEAL and what they go through. It's incredible in terms of reshaping not only the way they think, but elevating to a whole other level of toughness and tenacity in order to overcome the challenges that they go through in order to become a Navy SEAL, but very applicable tactics and techniques that can be uh, utilized by all of us, whether or not we're pursuing a designation of a Navy SEAL. So Philip Kuntz, a former Navy SEAL of over six years, he's a sought-after keynote speaker. He himself is a special forces mentor. He's the acclaimed author of the book, The Truth Behind My Trident, Overcoming Life and Business Obstacles, the Navy SEAL way. He's going to be joining us today. He's going to share his wisdom, and I'm excited to hear what he's got to say. And on the heels of that, we're going to have a conversation with one of the most recognized and also sought-after subject matter experts in the field of sales enablement and transformation. He's a fractional CRO, David Lusk. He's the managing partner of the Evergreen Sales Group, uh, one of the most uh, popular guys on LinkedIn because of his wonderful, insightful posts. So we've got him on the show today. So buckle up, folks. It's going to be a fantastic program. And if you've not had a chance, by the way, to have a look at our prior two and a half years of broadcast. I can't believe it. We're coming up on our third anniversary soon. Uh, well, you can certainly check us out at the jmamietalkshow.com. They can scroll through every episode that we've had since we launched back in June of 2020. And you can also catch the rebroadcasts on any of your favorite podcast platforms. And while you're at it, go check me out, thejmamie.com, thejmamie.com. There you're going to find all of my books, blogs, vlogs, and all the good things that we've got going on, where I'll be speaking at next, and all of the wonderful things that we are bringing to help continue a thriving message to you. And speaking of thriving message, before we dive into our first guest shortly, I want to have, I want to share with you a thought. You know, the Thrive Talk section of this program has become so popular that it is the most commented uh, segment of the show, usually, 
by those who reach out to me thereafter, whether on LinkedIn or Facebook or Instagram, and, and you're commenting constantly on my Thrive Talks, and I really appreciate that you do because it continues to give me the not only the encouragement but also the recognition that there are many of you that just need a little word. You just need a little bit of information to help you get over the hump, and this Thrive Talk today is going to do that, and it's about measuring decisions. In other words, in life, you're always going to have a decision to make about something, right? Life is based on decisions. And if you look back into the history of your life, whether you are a teenager, a young adult, or, or, or senior, you're going to recognize that there are decisions that you've made along the way that as, uh, as you revisit that decision, you, you question whether or not you made the right one, In fact, you probably arrive at the conclusion that you did not make the right one. But here's what you also arrive at if you're honest with yourself. You arrive at the recognition or acknowledging that you didn't take enough time to think it through, right? So as you are developing the next best version of you, here's what I encourage you to do. I'm practicing this myself, by the way. I'm not just talking the talk here. I'm walking the walk alongside of you, my friends. There are decisions in your life that you're going to make that need to be measured. In other words, you don't make a decision uh, out of compulsion. You don't make it off the cuff. Certain decisions, you can do that, right? What If you're going to have something to eat, uh, deciding on what you're going to have for a meal, that's not a major decision to sit down and measure, right? What you're going to wear, probably not depending on the situation that you are getting dressed for, if it's an interview or a sales opportunity or something that's important, right? You, you have to give that some thought. But you have to take decisions that are life potentially life-changing and give them the time they deserve to measure that decision. In other words, find out If you make that decision, what can go right, what can go wrong, and give it some thought. But before you do that, here's where it really becomes critical. You have to know what decisions you're going to make in your life that require a degree of measurement. Because not every decision you're going to make requires that insight, right? That that carving out of time in order to really give it thought. Uh, the thoughts that it needs, the inspection that it needs. But there are certain decisions that do. The problem is that we don't know which decisions are the ones that require measuring. So we end up treating every decision the same, either off the cuff or lightheartedly inspecting the repercussions of that decision. And that causes us oftentimes to have regret because the outcome doesn't serve us. No wish decisions in life require a degree of measuring and which ones don't. So when those decisions come, you've got them categorized already as, hey, that decision, I don't have to worry about. That's I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this pretty quickly. But this decision here, I need to think about this. I need to measure this one because my decision and the outcome may very well be, for better or for worse, irreversible. No wish decisions need to be measured. And you will find yourself, more often than not, on the thriving side. Folks, we're coming back after the break with Philip Koontz. Don't have the time, money, or talent to grow your business? Call Evergreen Sales Group. Evergreen Sales Group is a fractional sales management firm built to help small business owners to have the benefits of Fortune 1000 companies for one-sixth the cost. 
They focus on sales so you can focus on your business. Go to evergreensales.group for a free, well-set motivational assessment for your team. $200 value, www.evergreensales.group. Hi, this is Jay Mamie. As a lifelong fitness enthusiast and professional bodybuilder, I know the importance of removing impurities and flushing out toxins to maintain a healthy colon and intestinal system. This is why I take and recommend Renew from First Fitness Nutrition. It also has helped me replenish my probiotics, which is necessary for a healthy gut. Learn more at healthyfriends.firstfitness.com. Welcome back Amy Talk Show with your host, Jay Mamie. Welcome back, everyone, to the Jay Mamie Talk Show. About to have a fantastic conversation with our feature spotlight guest today. I mentioned earlier Philip Kunt is a former Navy SEAL, but I want to give you a little bit more about him. Not only is he a former Navy SEAL of over six years, but he's a sought-after keynote speaker, which is how I became aware of him. He recently had a keynote event at one of the uh, events that I attended, and I was very impressed with his story. had heard about him for a while, had a chance to hear him speak, hear his heart, hear his message, and I thought to myself, this is a brother that needs to be on the program, but he's also a life and business coach. He's a special forces mentor, And he's the acclaimed author of the book, The Truth Behind My Trident, Overcoming Life and Business Obstacles, The Navy Seals Way. But what's cool about Philip is not only does he have a master's degree in leadership and is also, like I mentioned, a business and life coach, but he's also a volunteer with the Anti-Trafficking Bureau, which is a nonprofit organization that helps rescue and restore and protect children that are trapped in the sexual uh, exploitation industry. So he's got a good heart helping for people, always serving and protecting the community. That's who this man is. Please help me welcome to the show, Philip Coons. Philip, welcome to the Jay Mamie Talk Show. Hey, Jay. Thanks, man, for having me out. It's, uh, it's an honor, brother. Hey, we appreciate you taking the time. I know you've got a busy schedule. You've got a lot going on. You're a man in demand, and uh, we love to have guys who uh, who are in demand because they're doing good things. But before we dive into the goodness of what you're doing, your messaging, I want to sort of tail back a little bit into your earlier story. Um, I know you graduated college, and, and you decided to go into corporate America for a little while, but then you decided it was not for you. Um, so my question is, and I think my audience would like to know, going from corporate America, America, your college graduate, why the armed forces, why the pivot to the armed forces, and then how did you land up choosing uh, the Navy as your as your place to build your military career? Yeah, great question. Have you ever seen the movie Office Space? I have. <laughs> <laughs> that, is the, that is the best way I know how to describe that question. I mean, I was stuck in a cubicle, man, for eight, eight, nine hours a day in a suit and tie, just scratching my head, wondering when I was going to get to the next level of corporate America. And, you know, I fast forwarded 20 years into my mind and I'm like, I, I can't do this. I, I, I can't, I'm not going to wake up and be 40 something years old and realize that I just wasted half my life, you know, go through mm-hmm. a midlife crisis, that sort of thing. So, and I just, I knew that the way that I was made, just my DNA kind of genetic code within me was, was just a little bit more hardcore, I guess, if you, if you will. You know, I was a little ADD, can't sit still. I like a challenge, like to push myself, that sort of thing. And corporate America, for me, brother, was just a little too cush. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it just wasn't for me. So I, I punched my ticket after about eight months. And, and then I went over actually to the, to the Army side first. 
I mentioned some of this in my book. It was either going to become the it was either the armed forces or a police officer right there in Wilton, Connecticut, where I was living. And so I went to police uh, force first, was uh, kind of interviewing and everything for uh, the academy position, got down to two guys. They're only hiring one of us at the time. And I uh, was sitting in front of a panel, and I knew I answered the question wrong. <laughs> they say, what do you want to do if you, uh, you know, if you don't get this? What are you going to do? And, uh, and I was like, well, I'm just going to join the military. You know, I've always wanted to be special forces, and I could tell by the look on their faces that wasn't the right answer. So I was, so I, uh, I think probably by the grace of God, I did not get that job, uh, knowing that it might not even be as, as good of a fit as the military was. So I went over to the Army side, and they said, hey, you know, you can, uh, you can be you know, a Green Beret and go to the Q course. But you have to do two years in infantry before you before you go that route. And uh, I was a cocky college grad, you know. I was like, eh, I don't know, I'm a little too cool for school. I don't want to be in the infantry for two years and put in my due. So I went across the hall to the Navy side, and uh, and they said, Oh, well, you've got your college degree. So uh, lo and behold, we're giving eight thousand dollar bonus to those people, those enlisted guys who come in with their degrees. And you know, I mean, eight thousand dollars to mm-hmm. a twenty four year old is that's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, that was one of the one of the reasons why. And then I have a swimming background as well too. So I I grew up swimming competitively at the age of twelve. Swam uh, through college D one at University of uh, of Toledo through my my sophomore year, and then transferred to Miami of Ohio to finish up my marketing degree. Uh, but I swam in college, so you know the whole swimming thing made sense. The Navy, the water, that sort of thing. Um, so that's that's the route I went, man, because of the the water and the uh, the money. <laughs> so. You know, it's funny how we arrive at a place we never thought we would be based on either the experience of things we like, things we don't like, and probably the last thing that you thought that you would, graduating high school or uh, college rather, if someone would have put a list of things that you might do in your future, a Navy SEAL may not have been in the top five, right? Um, I mean, special forces of some kind, but all of a sudden, one, you head in one direction, you have to pivot, you find out, you know, you, you know yourself well enough to know that's not the calling of my life, and then you're able to make right. the pivot. You know, most people, even they, they don't recognize the calling, they don't recognize the pivot because they never take the time to know who they really are, um, and yeah. they, they, they wander through life as a generality, right? But, well, you know, Jay, that's a great, I mean, that's a great point, man. And even if they do realize that, that, that they're a little different, even if they do realize that, they, they don't pivot because they're, because they're full of fear, because mm-hmm. they're scared of the un- of the unknown and what happens if I do pivot and that sort of thing. So that's that's a great point. I like that. You're big on preparation. If there's uh, if there's anything that you speak about, and you speak about a number of things that that really stem from your training, you speak about preparation. Where do you find in your observations, Phil, that people fail in the preparation phase when there is an upcoming personal mission that they're facing? Mm-hmm. There's three things that we do in preparation for missions as, as SEALs. Uh, the, the first phase, if you will, is information gathering. The second step is trying to determine and figure out when your drop dead time is that you need to make a decision. Mm-hmm. And then number three is being able to pivot uh, based on new information or maybe even the wrong course that we or the wrong decision that we made. So in preparation, I think a lot of people, they they don't they don't look at all the different options. They don't look at all the different potential outcomes out there. As, as SEALs, we, we plan for the worst, but hope for the best. But in planning for the worst, 
you know, we just don't sit around all day around a table and play the what if game. What if this happens? What if this? But we are prepared, though, with multiple scenarios, secondary, tertiary plans uh, and courses of action just in case the stuff hits the fan and, you know, plan A doesn't work. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people have a plan A and they get so set on plan A that they, re- that, that they neglect looking at a plan B or a plan C in their life or what if this happens and how am I going to pivot like you said? I like that word. Uh, to my secondary plan, maybe, and uh, executing on that just in case, you know, something doesn't work. So, I mean, I, man, I got so many calls from friends and family uh, during COVID. Uh, it was unbelievable, like, just freaking out, like, oh, my gosh, I'm not prepared. Mm. I, I can't believe, like, where's the toilet paper? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? It was, it was uh, they, were, they were losing their minds. And uh, so out of the goodness of my heart and, honestly, some boredom, it took me about a week, I developed a residential safety action plan. It's Love a 60-page it. personalized report with satellite imagery of, like, choke points in their neighborhood and blockades. And, like, when the stuff hits the fan, this is what you do. It's broken down into four different phases. Uh, and uh, it's, you know, comms plans and what do you do for a bug-out bag and how do you raise indoor vegetables. And, I mean, it's 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 survival wow. at, its, at its finest. So I, I just... Yeah, I, I, I made those for people because, to your point, they're just, you know, they're not prepared. They're not – we're so comfortable, I think, as Americans living in this shrink wrap, bubble wrap, you know, the little safety bubble of hear no evil, see no evil, and like, oh, it's not going to touch me. Oh, it's not going to impact me. And COVID was a perfect example of how we are not as bulletproof or not as immune as we thought we were, you know, here in the West. So, Bro, that's a salient point right there, man. I don't think people wake up every day expecting – something horrible to happen but yet they don't plan for when and if it does right and right. covid is a good example of that uh, yeah. let me- and i'm not i'm not i'm not like a devil behind every bush kind of guy though either you know i'm not like mm-hmm. waking up with anxiety like oh my god what's going to happen to me today and you know worried and living in fear but but there is a very very fine line between uh living in fear and and being prepared for what is to come being prepared for the unknown that's and right. Benjamin Franklin said, by failing to prepare, you're really preparing mm-hmm. to fail. And I, I love that. Absolutely right, brother. Yeah, absolutely right. Let me ask you the question that follows preparation. You know, you, you go to a mission. It's it's done, right? For better or for worse, victory or not. Once that mission is over, or once the task is over, uh, what assessment should you and, and and the team, let's say we're talking about a corporate team or an individual, you, the job is done, the task is completed, you did great, you didn't do great. What are the cr- critical assessments that have to be analyzed once it's all said and done in preparation for the next one? Yep, I love it, and I'm going to keep it real simple. About two, 15 years ago, two decades ago, the SEAL teams, we adopted something called an AAR, an After Action Review. Mm. And I talk about this in my leadership presentation, uh, three-dimensional leadership, leading in, out, and up. And one of the things that I think is so vital for people to do on a personal level and on a professional level is conduct an AAR or an after-action review, sometimes on a daily basis, maybe on a weekly basis, a monthly basis, after a big event, after a huge client meeting, after a proposal, after you know, something significant that they planned for. So, for example, in the SEAL teams, we did an AAR, conducted an after-action review after every single live fire evolution or training uh, exercise that we went through and after every single mission that we went on. So we get back into the green zone uh, before we 
take care of our gear before we lay down, before we get some, some food, some chow. We all circle together and we ask ourselves three basic yet very powerful questions. The first one is, what went right? What do we do right? All right. What went wrong is the second question. You know, what did, what, what did we do? Where, where did we mess up? And then the last one is, how can we improve? So what went right? What went wrong? And how can we improve? And I think if we keep those three questions and conduct these AARs, uh, these after action reviews, keep that in the forefront of our mind as we're working throughout the day in our business and, like I said, personal, uh, getting to the next level is really going, uh, it's going to make it a lot easier. And that's really how we remain at the tip of the spear in Naval Special Warfare is, is continually having that humble learning posture, not of, you know, we do it right all the time. We got it right. We're badasses. You mm-hmm. know, you can't touch us kind of thing. It's no, man, we screw up too. So what do we do right? And then how do we mess it all up? You know, it might be details. It might be big stuff. And then how can we improve for the future? So keeping that humble learning posture and that attitude, I think, is critical in order to help us to remain tip of the spear. You know, you hit the nail on the head, remaining humble enough to recognize whether you had victory or loss, that there's something you could learn from that and not be so arrogant to think if you've won that there's nothing to review, you know, we, we knocked it out of the park. I think that that level of arrogance sets you up for failure in the next mission. Isn't that true? Oh, absolutely. And I mean, unfortunately, I'd be remiss if I didn't say that there are a lot of those types of very haughty, arrogant, oh, yeah. prideful people that, I mean, that are everywhere. And mm-hmm. of course, the military is no different. And the SEAL teams are no different as well, too. You know, so you have those guys that are, you know, think their stuff doesn't stink kind of thing. You know, and right. they, they walk around with their, you know, barrel chested and they think that they, you know, can do no wrong. But unfortunately, that's a, a very poor leadership model. And you definitely don't want to follow someone who you think is is uh, is right all the time. You know, it's it, it builds credibility in a leader. It really does when you can when when that leader can say, "Hey guys, you know what? That was the wrong call. I messed that up." I, I, I say this all the time. The four most important words a leader can say is, "I screwed that mm. up." I messed that up because it builds credibility. It shows your humanity. It shows that you're humble, right? And that you're worthy of following, even though you don't get it right all the time. I mean, right? So perfect. Absolutely. Yep. Philip, in our, in our, and actually, I'm, I'm going to pose the question here, but we're going to pick it up after the break because I don't want to shortchange the answer. But you've been in some firefights, right? You've had some combat battles, um, yep. you and your team. When facing these these huge obstacles, man, these these firefights, the serious stuff, and you shared one at the uh, when you spoke at our recent event, what did you learn about yourself, your team, uh, leadership that still impacts you today, based on those battles that you had uh, when you were serving? We're gonna pick that question up right after the break. Friends, this is Jay Mamie, and I'm thrilled to announce that our merchandise site is now open for business just in time for the holidays. My inspirational quotes, encouragement words, and thought-provoking phrases can be printed on a number of very cool items to help you stay in thriving mode. Make sure to visit my website, thejmamie.com. Look for the store link. Check out the items. Once again, that'll be at thejmamie.com. Are your sales lagging? Are you frustrated with your ability to effectively communicate the goodness of your product or service? Could your income greatly benefit from you getting better at selling? 
Hi, this is Jay Mamie, the host of the Jay Mamie Talk Show and the curator of the Thrive Sales Mastery Course. I want you to know that there are answers on how you can get better at the skill of selling. Go to my course, the Thrive Sales Mastery Course. Get the answers you need so you can experience the results you want. ThriveSalesMastery.com. Welcome back to the Jay Mamie Talk Show with your host, Jay Mamie. Welcome back, everyone, to the Jay Mamie Talk Show. Having a fantastic conversation with an only, one and only Philip Coombs here, Navy SEAL, uh, giving us some great intel on the mindset behind a number of different ways that we can thrive in life. And the last question that I asked you, Phil, was when, when you face your biggest firefights and your combat battles, I'm interested in, in learning what you've learned about yourself, your team, and, and leadership that still impacts you today. Yeah, great question. I think the first thing that comes to my mind, Jay, is just the fact that there are no Rambos in the SEAL teams. You know, when I was in the teams and I'd ask people all the time, hey, man, are you good? You know, how you doing? The answer was always, I'm good. You know, mm. I'm good. I'm fine. I'm good. I'm like, sure, bro. Like, you're you're bleeding out right now. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, no, I'm good. And I, and I carry that into my civilian life. And I just kept telling everybody I was good when I knew deep down inside that I really wasn't good. And so I really had to come to Jesus moment. And I had to come to terms with the fact that it's okay to not be okay. And, and, and that really kind of started a new path for me, opened up like this, this revelation of, oh, my gosh, like I don't have to be the leader I, that has it all together. I don't have to be the guy that, that that's holding you know it up all the time, and, and I can't drop any of the balls that I've got in the air, and I got to make sure everybody's got everything that they you know need and take care of everybody. And it's okay to have a bad day. It's okay to not be okay and to reach out and to get help if you need to. And that's exactly what what I did for uh, for myself when I probably about four years after I got out. It really took that long to kind of culminate to this crisis point for me. Let me ask you this: so you 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 got out. And one of the things I know, because I'm involved in, in the work, is with PTSD, right? A lot of, uh, all, you know, a lot of those in, in, in service, uh, they come out, in service, and when they come out, and that, that's a serious issue. I want to just pivot a little bit to that question, and we're going to get back to some other ones that I have for you. But what would you say to the brothers and sisters, or, or, or anyone, right, that is in a place of severe discouragement and depression, what's the anecdote? Uh, uh, non-prescribed uh, prescription-based anecdote, right, for for right. severe discouragement and those that are teetering with depression? Yeah. Uh, for those people, I would say, I think as, as human beings, our natural inclination when we're depressed is to isolate ourselves. It's to turn inward and get very dark. And unfortunately, the darkness and in, it, it just it grows in the dark and so I would say and, and just encourage everyone to to reach out to your pack mm -hmm. uh, that's one of the things I talk about in overcoming adversity you know reach out expose expose whatever that is to the light I'm not I please hear me I wasn't saying that that depression is is sin I'm just saying that when we are depressed sometimes we turn towards some of those unhealthy coping mechanisms mm -hmm. and and I think the more we do that whether it's gambling or overeating or pornography or substance abuse alcohol I mean you name it brother like we all have an Achilles heel when we turn to those things they just grow in the dark if they're not exposed and we go deeper and deeper and deeper down that that rabbit hole right like Alice right. in Wonderland so it's um 
I think the number one thing, and this isn't like a, a you know a cure all, but the first step in really overcoming the adversity and really uh, helping someone and giving someone advice who's struggling with depression is simply just to reach out, have a couple conversations, identify two or three people in your life that you can be transparent with and vulnerable with and very raw with that can handle your messiness, mm. the messiness of emotions, and and just really kind of sit with you in in that if that makes sense. It, it does, and I would add one more to because I can almost hear the thoughts of people thinking to themselves, hey, that sounds great, but uh, you know, sometimes when you share your trash with someone else, um, they either bash you for your trash or they share it with others. You have to make sure you find somebody that's trustworthy oh, that you absolutely. can be open with, right? Absolutely, yeah. Those two or three people are going to be sacred people in your life that you can trust, that you can rely on, that, that you know aren't just going to sit down and try to give you advice, you know, because that's not what you need. <laughs> you just mm-hmm. want somebody to be with you. I love, I love the meditation uh, practice of the, the practice of, of um, or the gift, sorry, the gift of presence, the gift of presence. Sometimes just sitting with mm-hmm. somebody and not saying a single word is such a powerful gift to them. Uh, so, yeah, absolutely, to your point, very, very trustworthy. They have to be trustworthy have to be dependable, reliable, and, you know, you got to feel love, you know, love from them. Mm -hmm. So, you know, one of the things you spoke about that I resonated with uh, at the, uh, at this recent event, Phil, was tackling, uh, feeling overwhelmed when you're about to tackle a huge undertaking. And you certainly, in preparation for SEAL work and thereafter, um, you spoke about how when you look at the amount of, of work or activity or, or effort to get something done, it's overwhelming. I recently had the same experience. I competed in a bodybuilding show that I hadn't competed in 27 years, and I looked at the the, the following 12 weeks and the workouts and the, and the dieting, and I said, oh, my Lord. But I took the advice you gave. So that's why I resonated with you when you spoke about that. How do you, and if you could share with, with my listeners, how do you tackle a huge undertaking without feeling overwhelmed? Yeah, would you, I, I would say buds. Going to buds is a pretty big. That's a big one. Yeah, <laughs> I'm a SEAL motivator on the Air Force Academy. I live out in Colorado, about ten minutes away from the academy. And those guys that want to do a lateral transfer, those cadets in the Air Force that want to do a lateral transfer from the Air Force into the Navy and go to buds, that's where I come in and I help mentor these guys. So I'm a SEAL motivator, and this is what I tell them. I think this answers your question uh, perfectly. Uh, I say, guys, oftentimes you're going to wake up in the beginning of the day, and you're going to feel so unbelievably overwhelmed with what you've got uh, for the, like the rest of the week. And I say, guys, don't worry about the four-mile time run that you got tomorrow. Don't worry about the O course. Don't worry about any other evolution or the two-mile open ocean swim or anything you've got throughout the rest of the week. I say, you just take it one day at a time. But, Jay, let's face it, brother. Sometimes we wake up, and, and just looking at the day as a whole – is, is too overwhelming. And mm-hmm. we just got done talking about depression, you know, and, and I, I've been depressed before. Absolutely. I've battled with depression. It sucks. It's real. It's lonely and it's exhausting and uh, it's dangerous too, you know, and, and maybe, maybe, uh, you know, looking at the full day, just uh, it's, it's too much for you to handle. So I encourage my guys to take it one meal at a time when they wake up in the morning, just set their eyes to breakfast and then lunch and dinner, and then mid rations around, two or three o'clock in the morning. Uh, and similarly, you know, us in the civilian world now, you just break down your day into smaller size goals. And maybe the first goal of the day is simply just getting out of bed in the morning, you know, and that's, that's okay. But as we break down our day 
into smaller size goals and we begin to accomplish those goals, we get so much momentum. We get so much more uh, positivity and we're developing this perseverance and we're like, okay, I mean, how do you eat an elephant? Right. It's the it's the age old Chinese proverb. How do you eat an elephant one bite mm-hmm. at a time? That's right. Right. And so if you're going to tackle something huge, you take it one day at a time or one day at a time is too much. Break down your day into smaller size goals to help you begin those baby steps of accomplishing that bigger task that you have your eyes set towards. Brother, that's exactly what I took away from in your talk that I resonated with, because that's how I, when I looked at the 12 weeks ahead, and I hadn't competed in, in 27 years. I said, how the hell? You know what? As busy as I've got things going on. I said, you know what? It's one workout, one exercise, one rep at a time. And right. I just focused on that next workout, the next set, the next rep. And before I knew it, man, 12 weeks had come and gone, and I actually ended up winning the whole show. Um, yeah, that's great. So I, I, I really appreciate that advice that you've given because it, it works a little bit at a time. But I, I want to dive a little bit into in the, in the minutes that we've got left here. You mentioned buds, right? Let's get people up to speed a little bit on the on the trailer version, trailer explanation of what buds is. Because sometimes, not sometimes, a lot of people don't know what buds training is. Because it leads up to my question for you is what kept you from quitting on the final night of Hell Week? But before we talk about Hell Week, let's get people up to speed on what Buds is and why Hell Week is such a huge component of that training. Sure. So Buds is stands for Basic Underwater Demolition School or SEAL, and it's held right there in Coronado, California. And it's six months long, divided into three phases. So first phase, you know, the, the, the sole job of the instructors for those first two months is just to make life as miserable as possible. They try to get you to quit, and they get very creative with that. I tell some stories in my mm-hmm. presentations with some, some of their creativity there. Uh, the second phase, the next two months, is all about diving. And so they, they teach us uh, two underwater breathing apparatuses. You know, the first one is scuba. The second one is the Drager system, which is what we use. It's a German-made rebreather. It doesn't emit any bubbles. It's fascinating. And then the third phase, the last two months of BUDS is all about land. It's all about land warfare, land navigation. Uh, we pick up pistols and rifles, shoot like experts, learn to shoot like experts. We play with some demo and really have a good time. Uh, but but BUDS, I mean, it's, it's six months long of a, what I say, a figurative punch in the stomach every day. I mean, it is grueling every single day, every single phase, every single week. It's it sucks. It's it's a gut check, which is what we say, um, you know, in the SEAL teams. So it's uh yeah. So that's that's kind of buds in a nutshell. And then Hell Week generally falls around week four or week five of first phase. So within those two months, usually like halfway through first phase, you're going to have Hell Week. And Hell Week is uh, it starts on a Sunday night. And it, it secures or it ends the following Friday afternoon. So it's five and a half days where we go with two hours of sleep for the entire week. Uh, and medically, your diagnosis is insane if you, more, if you go more than three days without any sleep. So I guess we're all crazy. But I've got stories of hallucinating. I mean, I was, I was uh, the longest evolution that we had was uh, around the world tour. We have to paddle with our boats for two and a half days. This evolution, t- evolution took two and a half days, 81 miles around the San Diego Bay area. Wow. Just and over again and uh, i remember it was day three i was definitely hallucinating and apparently i was hungry too i was paddling and i looked over in the ocean and i saw thousands of snickers bars floating <laughs> in the ocean <laughs> and 
I remember, just like it was yesterday, I remember thinking, like, what the hell? How did they get all these Snickers bars in the ocean? And, like, are these for us? Like, can we eat these? <laughs> I, it, was, it was hilarious. I mean, it was – your mind will definitely play tricks on you due to sleep deprivation. So, uh, but, yeah, man, that's – I mean, that's kind of Hell Week in a nutshell. Cold, wet, dark, uh, miserable, and uh, just it's go, 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 one evolution after another. And in our last couple of minutes here, what kept you from quitting? What kept you from ringing the bell? You know, a lot of people go through challenges, man, and they get up there and they ring the yeah. bell. They go for the donut. They yeah. go for the coffee in the back yeah. of the truck, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, right, right. What, what kept you from? Too, yeah. yeah, right. <laughs> what kept you from from doing that? Yeah, uh, I made a deal with myself. You know, Jay, I don't want to sound cliche. Uh, you know, I'm a. I strive to be extremely authentic mm-hmm. um, and with with people. And, uh, and even in my book, The Truth Behind My Trident, uh, pull back the curtain, kind of show the general public what an average day in the life of a Navy SEAL looks like. So I don't want to be cliche when I say this, but I didn't give myself the option to quit. You know, when I was uh, married, this was before my, my wife was diagnosed with stage four breast cancer. We didn't have any kids together. And I said, you know what? I would rather die than quit. I'm not even going to crack that door open a little bit. You know, in life, if we just crack that door open just a little bit and say, well, if it gets this bad, then I might, you know, or if the diet goes, you know, if it gets, gets this bad or if I get this hungry or, you know, whatever, the goals get this overwhelming, then I might. But I didn't even I didn't even crack the door to quitting. I said, you know, uh, you know, I'm a man of faith. So for me, I was like, well, if I die, I meet Jesus. And if I don't die, I become a Navy SEAL. So for me, it's kind of a win-win situation. You know? uh, I, I couldn't see anything wrong with that. And my wife was on board with it as well, too. So, uh, yeah, again, man, not to sound cliche, but I didn't even give myself the option to quit. I really didn't. I mean, I was miserable and I, at times, and the, the most miserable and uncomfortable I've ever been in my entire life. And I said, you know what? My heart's still beating. I saw the pulse. So I'm still in this fight. Brother, you have been an absolute joy on the show. The wisdom, the knowledge, the experience, the depth of uh, of a life resume that you bring to the table is amazing. You've got a lot more to live. You've got a lot more to, to contribute to the world. Obviously, that's why you are being sought after as a speaker. Uh, your information is going to be up at our website. So any one of our listeners, we have a huge business, uh, business listening audience, tons of CEOs on our show. Uh, as, a, as a listening audience. So they're going to love your message. And I have a feeling you're going to get a bunch of calls to come speak at their events. Philip Coons, appreciate you being on the show, brother. Yeah, Jay. Thank you, man. God bless you. It's been an honor and a privilege. Folks, we'll be right back after the break. For 15 years, Rich Result has helped companies build dynamic and diverse teams with custom talent searches, providing experienced candidates to fill the critical roles that growing organizations and nonprofits need to thrive. Why choose them? Well, for one, 95% fill rate, and they provide a behavioral assessment for candidates. To learn more about Rich Results, track them down at richresults.com. That's R-I-S-C-H results.com. Join women-owned businesses and advocates at the Parade of Stars Awards Gala hosted by the Women's Business Council Southwest. The celebratory evening event is Friday, January 20th at the Sheraton Dallas Hotel and honors those ensuring successes for women-owned businesses in our community. Visit wbcsouthwest.org to register. The Women's Business Council Southwest looks forward to hosting you. Welcome back to the Jay Mamie Talk Show with your host, Jay Mamie. Welcome back.
back, everyone, to the J. Mamie Talk Show. Off the fantastic conversation that we had with Philip Koontz, my next guest is extraordinary. Uh, he is not only the managing partner of the Evergreen Sales Group, but David Lusk is a sales enablement and transformation expert and also a fractional CRO, one of the most recognized individuals in his industry. He's been doing this for a very long time. As part of having someone as a business spotlight, folks, we bring in people that are subject matter experts. And as we're turning the corner on a brand new year, I know the importance of companies and businesses and entrepreneurs understanding the resources that are available to them to grow their initiatives. And that's why David Lusk is on the show today as our business spotlight. David, welcome to the Jay Mamie Talk Show. Great to be here, Jay. Thank you. David, before we dive into all the goodness that you've got to offer the world, I'd like for you to share a little bit about your story before we get started. Uh, sure thing. So uh, I started life in sales uh, with a startup company doing auto arbitrage and then uh, formed another company a few years later uh, in the sales uh, enablement space and then went to work for years in uh, corporate America. It's been about 15 years standing up sales transformation programs, sales development type programs, and then uh, got remarried and my wife was launching her career and I was on the sunset of it. So I decided to step out of that and support her mm -hmm. in doing that and formed uh, Evergreen Sales Group. Let me ask you, I know that during COVID you hit a reset button, right? Mm -hmm. um, and again, you decided to, to support your wife, but you could have gone back to uh, a corporate position, right? You've tons of success yep. there. Uh, yep. Probably yep. would have had your pick of the litter. But you decided yep. to go independent, launch your own company in the middle of COVID of all times. What inspired <laughs> you, right? I mean, obviously, you, you, you missed the medication that day, right? <laughs> right. right? You missed it. Uh, but it worked out. But what inspired you to yeah. launch Evergreen Sales? Uh, so it's really just a passion for helping people and particularly the small business folks. Uh, you know, I think like a lot of people during the COVID uh, just evaluated uh, what was important to me and made that decision to bring a lot of the expertise that you learn in the corporate America when you have big budgets and big projects and bring that down to a small and mid-sized business market. Uh, just have a real passion having started several businesses myself. They just uh, need help, uh, extra set the hands and expertise that they can't really afford. So for about one-sixth the cost of hiring a full-time employee, they can just lease the expertise of a fractional uh, chief revenue officer. You know, I'm going to ask you to, to sort of help our audience understand um, what the concept of a fractional uh, CRO is. But before we do that, why do you find that small businesses um, – have a hard time finding good sales programs. Why do they have a hard time finding? Oh man, it's uh, it's all about just the busyness. I mean, these guys have uh, things coming at them all the time. And if you think about your typical entrepreneur, they start a business because they're really good at something, and that's usually not sales. So they have a vision for what they want to do. They go out. Uh, they're passionate about it. They sell a couple of projects, and then. They're traveling down this road and realize, well, I've got this business going here. I want to make it grow, but I don't know how to do that. Uh, and they just don't know. Sales is a very niche uh, function. Absolutely. It requires a unique mindset, a unique skill set. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's not – most of the population is not wired 
to be in, in sales. Um, anybody can sell, but there are few people that want to make their living doing that. Brilliant. Well said. And I would imagine that finding uh, that, that funding a good sales program uh, is probably what also deters uh, business owners who are just getting started. Maybe they have a limited budget and they can't uh, afford. Uh, would you say that's right. another component of it? Absolutely. It's, uh, it can be quite expensive. So if you think about the industry in general, sales is what's putting the revenue in the business. So there's a lot of training that would have to go along. Your average tra- training program is going to cost you about $3,000 a person mm-hmm. uh, to get trained. You're going to have to hire uh, a fairly high-skilled uh, leader or trainer to do that. Those come at you know two to $300,000 a year. So it's just very difficult to get good material. One of the things that we focus on that's a little bit different uh, is the behavioral science behind it. I know that you're you're really keen on understanding the mindset and all right. that. So I think we share that. And it's really about how do I translate uh, my behaviors into actionable items versus just uh, laying out, like, go sell. Well, how do I do that? How do I ask a question? How do I plan? How do I do all those kinds of things? Uh, the people just you don't learn it in school, and uh, if you spend enough time in corporate America, eventually you'll get the opportunity to do a training program. Uh, yeah, that's in general why it's so dang expensive. Mm-hmm. See the the concept, that and that that's probably why there has been a turn towards fractional um, individuals who can offer. Uh, services, not on a full-time basis, uh, independent mm-hmm. basis as, as what you do, but it's mm-hmm. still foreign. It's foreign to a lot of business owners and CEOs, and uh, in, in the spirit of uh, allowing or, or letting uh, our audience become aware of the resources they have available to succeed, share a little bit of with my audience the concept of a fractional CRO. Um, if you can clarify what, a, what that is and, and how they can be an asset to any company. Uh, absolutely. So it, it is a little bit foreign. Uh, the concept started some 20, 30 years ago with uh, chief financial officers who had, uh, through uh, a recession, a lot of senior executives that came out uh, were looking for jobs and picked up part-time jobs in the finance sector of, of a business. And that has just matured over the years as we have identified uh, fractional marketing uh, folks with the same sort of skill sets for that. Uh, the HR folks have also come on and have been a uh, been instrumental in helping small businesses grow. And the CRO is, is the new. That's a chief revenue officer, mm-hmm. sometimes called a chief sales officer, sometimes called the head of sales. And the need for it is for owners that don't have the time or the money or, quite frankly, the talent in their business to help them scale and get to the next business. So people like me are very skilled in understanding how to build the systems and the processes to make that happen. So the owner or the leadership team still keeps the control of the organization. They get an advisor and a partner that's sitting there with them, providing that high degree of expertise. But unlike a consultant, uh, it's an ongoing process to help build that business at a much more cost-effective price point. So they're there with the team. Uh, They're sitting with you. Uh, they're building, planning, scheming, and running that. They're focused just on the sales piece of it so that the owners and the leadership team members can focus on what they're really good at, particularly that CEO or that owner who really good at the technical specifications of their offering and just needs to have customers to go talk to and, and help selling his idea into the marketplace. 
I got to tell you, David, I think one of the assets and one of the the benefits of, to any company owner, any CEO to have a fractional uh, chief revenue officer is that it allows that business owner and CEO two things, peace of mind, and number two, to stay in his own lane, right? They stay in yeah, their own exactly lane right. um, and yeah. allow the, the experts to focus specifically on way, what they do in their assigned lane. Does that make sense? Well said. Well said. Perfectly said. That's yeah. right. Now you made a post. Uh, you, you posted recently on LinkedIn, which is where where you and I connect. And there's the power of LinkedIn. Uh, you posted something that I found fascinating when you said that there are three buckets of people in business. Uh, can you share that thought for my listeners? The the three buckets of people in business. I thought was brilliant. Yeah. So there are those that think they're the smartest person in the room. There are those that know they're the smartest person in the room, and then there are those that know they are not the smartest <laughs> person in the room, and those are, in fact, the smartest people in the room. So there's just a whole wealth of knowledge and experience and moving pieces in business today. It's incredibly complex. So I think the, the start of any good conversation and any good business is to realize that you don't know everything mm-hmm. and that you need help. You need help in building your business. You know, I find, David, and you and I could probably share the same sentiment here because you've been in the sales development enablement for a long time and, and, and as I mm-hmm. have also in a different space, but in the same industry sort of, that I think what cripples most people, their success in building their company or whether an entrepreneur or a big company is, number one, I think they are delusional. Uh, they think they are doing better than they really are or that they've got it, right? Uh, mm-hmm. That's one mm-hmm. aspect of it. And I think the other aspect, it's pride, right? I, yeah. I know it already. I, I don't need help. I've got this. It's, it's a blend of de- being, delusion, de- being delusional and prideful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I have definitely been caught that myself to be completely transparent. I've learned some very valuable lessons over the years. So. It's true. It's true. Now, our theme for the month of January has been women empowering women, really championing women-owned businesses, which you do a lot of work with. Where do you find mm-hmm. that many women-owned businesses need the greatest amount of help? So uh, when I coach uh, particularly sales executives, women who are in that space, uh, it's really around mindset and belief are the things that uh, we spend some time thinking about. So one of the huge challenges that women face is the belief that they belong in the room uh, and overcoming the biasness of organizations that they don't think that the women necessarily belong in the room. So Mm. about a third of women are uh, in the business to business uh, sales reps, about 25% of business managers are women. Uh, ironically enough, women outperform men in business-to-business selling by about 3%. So it's kind of this interesting where the data doesn't quite align you know, to the belief. Yeah, that's brilliant. Uh, belief and mindset, that's where it all starts. And I've had yeah. other women on the show who are business owners, and they work with women that are business owners, and they've echoed the same thing. It's not skill set. Um, it's A lot of it has to do mm-hmm. with belief, mindset, and that affects their mm-hmm. confidence. Um, mm-hmm. And you cannot be successful in sales if you are lacking confidence, right? Very true. Very true. Hey, in our last couple of minutes here, for women-owned businesses, we're talking about mindset. What are the traps 
that women fall into when it comes to building a successful business uh, apart from belief and mindset? What are some of the critical skill sets that can also create delay in their success? Sure. So uh, a lot of the trap, the five top traps that they tend to fall into is the one we just were discussing briefly is questioning that they belong. Mm-hmm. They do belong in the room. They've already proven that, that they are they can outperform uh, any any person, particularly themselves. Quite frankly, they can outperform what they think that they can do. Uh, another trap women tend to fall into is seeking praise from others to define their success. Mm. Once again, into that mindset about what they're all about. Waiting for stars to align, you know, waiting for all the pieces to be uh, perfectly set before they act. You know, and entrepreneurs, uh, they're really good at this. They act a lot of times without really thinking about whether the stars can align. And so I think women in particular suffer from this notion that they have to be qualified to do something. And then uh, making statements sound like questions. A lot of women, because they're a lot more relational and uh, they tend to want to kind of build that relationship, which is a great skill to have, but they could do themselves a great disservice by making a statement uh, as a question. And so it sounds uh, less confident than their male counterparts. And then taking it personally, you know, in sales, you're going to take a lot of rejection. Mm-hmm. Uh, successful females do not take that rejection personally. They're just able to continue to move forward. Well, David, you are a wealth of knowledge. The, your experience and your life's resume in this field is obvious with the knowledge that you've shared with us. We're going to put your information up at our website so people can track you down, David Lust from Evergreen Sales Group, so that when there is a need that they find themselves, uh, uh, or rather a sales expert, someone who does what you do, <laughs> that can help them because you're multifaceted. That's the one thing. You're multifaceted. And I, I th- people need to get to know you in order to understand that as I've gotten to know you. Yeah. You've got a lot of diversified skill sets that can help any organization. And uh, we're going to put your information up at our website. And we appreciate you being on the show. Thank you, Jay. I appreciate the invitation. Good to meet you. Folks, that wraps up another fantastic week of your Thrive Minded Hour. Make sure you return next Sunday for your next hour of Thrive Time. In the meantime, have a great week.